Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Time now to catch up on the latest developments in the dizzying world of new media and social media with our Open House guru, Steve Krieger. So much to cover tonight. First, the top tweeters and Facebookers, for that matter. Second, the perils of Facebook, especially when it comes to marriage. Third, is it possible to contain the screen time of youngsters? And fourth, the bizarre places where we're staying in contact through social media. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Lee. Good to be back. So much to cover tonight and converse about. First, let's go to Twitter. And you found an interesting project that tells us what's hot and where's hot and not on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. So the Queensland University of Technology uh, have been involved in an interesting project mapping out how Australians use Twitter and what kind of connections they have and how those uh, people are relating to each other. So they looked at 950,000 Australian Twitter accounts um, and then they went down to the next level. They took the uh, 120,000 most connected users and started to map out um, those connections and those interests bring them together into some clusters to work out how these people are using this social network. Okay, so let's see what they found first. What's hot then? So the big areas of interest that people are talking about on Twitter are things like uh, news and books and film, fashion and business. So some of those broad areas of interest are common topics of discussion. What's not hot? What are the places in Australia that are not hot as well? Uh, so a couple of things they observe. One is that um, Adelaide and Perth are particularly isolated clusters of uh, conversations. Uh, some sports groups, uh, but interestingly for, uh, for us, uh, evangelical Christians, um, evangelical religious groups uh, were identified as being one of those groups that are particularly isolated on Twitter. Okay. They're just not connected to many other Twitter users. Other groups not hot are lovers of beer and fans of Justin Bieber and the Jonas Brothers. It's probably, yeah, probably not um, the same people. <laughs> I think that's very true. Uh, so why do you think the evangelical or religious groups aren't hot then? Yeah, I don't know whether this is a reflection on uh, how we relate to the world at large, whether this is just uh, an image of um, the isolation that Christians can have from other people more generally. Uh, whether uh, there's a question as well about why people sign up to Twitter in the first place. So there's some people who use Twitter for general interest to keep up with the news um, and to see what's happening in the world of business. Um, but unlike Facebook, Twitter has a, a high level of users who are on there for particular niche interests. So I use Twitter to, uh, particularly for a lot of the Christian ministry that I'm involved in, communications and marketing, and so I'm connected into that niche group. And so I think there's something unique about Twitter that attracts people who are interested in very specific topics. So that that could be one reason. I mean, the research has discovered as well that the people, the the Christians, these evangelical groups that are using Twitter um, may not be connected to uh, many other people within Australia on Twitter, but they have strong connections with other Christians and Christian groups overseas, particularly in the US. So... It just highlights the types of connections that Twitter provides. Yeah. So what are your hot tips on who you follow on Twitter, apart from some of those specific interests, or for that matter, Facebook? Well, I mean, I, my interests are, are pretty specific. So I um, have found Twitter to be remarkably helpful for staying in touch with Christians from around the world. So I'm connected in with um, church planning groups and marketing groups and communication groups 
all the time kind of just uh, interacting with them and getting ideas for ministries that um, we could be running and uh, improving in Australia. So uh, uh, a couple of guys, you know, um, so Tim Chalice, who's the, the biggest kind of Christian blogger in the world, um, has some great stuff to say on both uh, Twitter and Facebook. Um, there's in, um, ministries like uh, Ligonier with uh, R.C. Sproul that are particularly helpful. Um, I think uh, people like Rick Warren has some really interesting and um, uh, kind of insightful things to say that he's constantly sharing. Paul Tripp is another guy. He's uh, currently tweeting about prayer with some great insights on prayer and its place in the Christian life. So these are a couple of guys that I find particularly useful to, um, to follow. Okay. Let's deal with Facebook now. This is emerging as a more and more common dynamic, the growing role it's playing in wrecking marriages. Yeah, this is a concern, I think. Mm. Uh, there was some research that was done in the US recently that found that uh, more than one-third of divorce filings last year contained the word Facebook. So that was cited as a reason for uh, the divorce. Uh, and in the same survey, 80% of U.S. divorce attorneys say they've seen a rise in the number of cases uh, that are involving uh, social media. Uh, and Facebook being uh, the largest network is uh, certainly a big cause in this. They, they spoke with one divorce attorney who mentioned that of the 15 cases that he handles per year um, where computer history or text and emails are admitted as evidence. 60% of those cases exclusively involved uh, Facebook. You know, I've seen similar uh, examples and articles online um, as Facebook is being uh, blamed or cited as the reason for marital breakdown. So what are the ways in which it is undermining marriages then? How does that work out? Yeah, I think there's a few things that are going on. One is that Facebook um, provides a, um, a level of intimacy, um, a level of safety that we haven't experienced before. So, you know, you can be anywhere in the world. You can be sitting on your phone or tucked away in your bedroom or wherever you have access to the internet, and you can be engaged in all kinds of uh, conversations um, and relationships without anyone else really knowing what that's like. You're able to develop and progress those relationships um, without actually having to see that person face-to-face. So in the past, if you wanted to develop... Um, a relationship, apart from, say, talking to them on the phone or writing a letter, you'd have to go and meet up with them. Um, and that was, if you know, this is a, an inappropriate relationship, a very big step to take. However, it's these small steps of sending a, a message, writing on someone's wall, can lead down a dangerous path, and Facebook just makes that kind of interaction uh, far more uh, easy. People are also commenting on how many uh, uh, relationships are being rekindled with old flames, yes. past relationships, people we've had connections with before. So Facebook gives us um, uh, connections with hundreds of people that we uh, have known from the past rather than just connections with random people that we've never met before. Uh, and so simply by opening up our, um, kind of our opportunities to more people, uh, the temptations are, are likely to increase as well. And apparently this marital unfaithfulness happens far quicker than in other areas of life, say in the office, for instance. That's right. I think, again, because uh, firstly, Facebook gives us an opportunity to share so much of our lives as we post updates and share photos. And so people are given an insight into other people that they wouldn't ordinarily have had or that would take much longer in real life, if I can use those words, to, uh, to develop. Um, so you can see into people's lives uh, and then you're able to um, 
communicate with them so quickly and so easily. Um, you don't have to go out to dinner or have a, you know, a covert coffee. Um, you can contact them constantly via uh, you know, message or, or even in real time, um, which just fast-tracks um, the development of these relationships or, in the case of rekindled relationships, fast-tracks the, um, the restoration of, uh, um, of, of that communication. It's probably another warning that our online world isn't quite as safe and certainly private as it seems. I think that's right, and it's a reminder again. We need to be we need to be careful of the types of relationships that we uh, pursue, um, and again, the openness that we have um, with our spouses about the um, the accounts that we keep. So, one of the you know, common pieces of advice um, uh, that I hear and would offer is that if you're married, you want your spouse to have um, access to all of your passwords and accounts. So you can say to them, "Here's my email account, and here's my Facebook address." Here's the, the passwords that I use. If you ever at any time want to go in and have a look at those things, um, you're welcome to. There's no privacy uh, in marriage. Um, so we keep those doors wide open, and that really reduces the opportunity for social media to be disrupting marriages. There was a judge in the US that actually ordered a divorcing couple to hand over the passwords of their Facebook accounts to the other's lawyers. Good grief. Yes. Yeah, that could be scary, as the, um, as the evidence is called for. Yeah. Um, but... Much safer for us and much better for our relationships if we do that with each other much earlier on. Long before. Okay, so next, screens, stealing childhood, so the claim goes. Yeah, so uh, again, kind of uh, some, uh, some researchers and some advocates are concerned about the amount of time that kids and young people are spending uh, in front of the screen. Um, and I guess as we observe this, it's, it's pretty obvious. Everywhere kids go now, they're, they're looking at screens, TV screens, computer screens. You know, even in the past, as you, you know, I remember going off on holidays with the family, you'd be driving for you know, four hours in the car and all you got to do is to talk to each other and play I Spy. Now you know, we've got screens embedded in the back of the, um, uh, the seat in front. Uh, and so everywhere, um, the concern is that because kids are so... Uh, exposed to screens, they don't actually know how to uh, live without them. And they feel that when they're not looking at a screen, they're bored and, um, and they don't know what to do. Uh, and so uh, the amount of screen time is uh, increasing rapidly. So we're looking, you know, teenagers now, um, they say, uh, are looking at screens or listening to music for more than seven and a half hours a day um, in the U.S., I mean, in Australia, this has come up to five hours and is constantly rising. So, uh, again, like with most aspects of technology, the researchers aren't really sure what impact this is going to have um, in the long term, uh, but they're concerned uh, because, uh, again, we've got the first generation that have grown up with this extensive access, constant access to screens. They don't know what impact that's going to have in the longer term. Yeah, part of the problem for parents is that all these dynamics are developing so rapidly before you know it. You turn around and your kids are consumed by these screens. What do you do? Uh, absolutely. And I think, you know, parents, uh, <laughs> you sleep all the time, uh, parents kind of giving their kid, you know, the iPhone to play with or the iPad to play with in the same way that you know, they didn't know what to do. They'd kind of entertain them with the television. Now they've got even more options. I think, you know, one thing... Uh, for us to do, I'm not a, a parent, but um, you know, constantly aware of the te temptation to spend more time in front of the screen is to um, be good at setting our own limits. So it's one thing to set limits for kids, uh, but we need to be good at establishing our own boundaries for when we will use technology, when we use uh, screens, and when we'll have that time away. So what are the recommendations for parents? What are they saying about the kind of ratio that's best 
Screen time for kids? Yeah, so they're, they're recommending, um, depending on the age of the children, um, so for the very young children, they'll recommend a, a one-to-five uh, ratio, so um, one hour of screen time for every five hours um, away from the screen, um, and then that uh, increases. So you've got one-to-one for pre, pre-teens, um, and then perhaps five-to-one for teens. Um, even that sounds, you know, a little bit high from <laughs> from where I'm sitting, but... Yeah. Again, it's about working out the type of um, child that you have um, and how they like to spend time, but also where they um, uh, might be tempted to escape. So constantly looking at how your child is using technology um, and whether that's impeding on their relationships and their jobs and how they communicate with the rest of the family. And there are some kind of symptoms almost that parents really need to be on the lookout for that their kids might be demonstrating. Yeah, that's right. So some symptoms like um, uh, loss of sleep, attention uh, deficit issues, um, loss of friends, issues with identity away from their online life. So there's some things that parents can be uh, can be looking out for. Uh, but again, you know, these can also be causes um, um, or symptoms of some some other issues. So it's important to keep an eye on these things, but not necessarily attribute it to kind of spending too much time in front of the screens. It could be some other. Uh, some other things going on. Yeah. So finally, we're finding out how desperate we are to stay connected on social media, some of the places from which we're tweeting. The statistics now for Australia is that now 62% of internet users have a presence on a social network, uh, with 36% of those people using um, that social ne- network at least uh, once a day. And so, interestingly, 38% of people still don't have any presence on social media, so it's still a sizable chunk. Mm. Uh, but within those people who are using social media, they say 6% are so obsessed um, that they have admitted to tweeting or posting while they've uh, been on the toilet. <laughs> Tell so, me you haven't done that. Uh, well, I don't think I can, Lee. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, I can say I have never done that. But um, not for you, it seems. No, no. So um, I... I I have to admit, I'm part of that six percent. Um, you know, look, it's a great time to catch up on the news and to, to find out what's going on. True confessions. And uh, at least I'm not alone, as these statistics say. But, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, you know, there the, seems to be a, a growing interest um, in using um, uh, social media, but again, a growing temptation for it to get uh, out of control. We spoke uh, a little while ago about uh, the challenge that social media gives us to. You know, we wake up in the morning and what's the first thing that people check? Well, it's Facebook. And what happens 